Welcome back to another edition of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line, with the movers, the shakers, the TV and filmmakers, the producers, the writers, the directors, the actors, the cinematographers, the editors, the sound mixers, sound editors, composers, authors, you name it, even choreographers at times. You name it, we talk to them. Uh, and I'm so excited about, number one, it's November. We only have two more months left of 2021. We thought going into 2021, it would be much better than 2020. It hasn't been that much better. But hopefully 2022, the countdown begins. Another countdown, though. All my fellow Yellowstone fans. Sunday, November 7th. Our two-hour season four premiere, we will find out, does John Dutton live or die? Does Beth Dutton live or die? Does Casey Dutton live or die? And is Jamie Dutton behind it? It's going to be epic. Epic. So, next Monday, you know we're going to be talking about Yellowstone and the season four premiere. But mark your calendars for this Sunday night on Paramount Network. Yellowstone. Two-hour season four premiere. And, of course, I hope everybody's checking out Dope Sick on Hulu. Episode five just dropped, and it just eight episodes all together, and six, seven, and eight are coming up in the, in the next few weeks. It is It just gets hotter and hotter, more and more powerful and compelling. So, God, I don't know what we're doing here. I'm looking... You know, we're going to we're going to start with calls in a minute. Um, But a fun show today. Also, I'd be remiss. Great, great, great holiday gift ideas, people. TCM, if you're watching the show on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook live stream, uh, or if you go check out uh, my website later on, um, BehindTheLensOnline.net, or any of my social media platforms, BTL Radio Show, or Movie Shark D, um, or me, Debbie Lynn Elias, on Facebook, you will see photos of last week's Tablescape, this week's Tablescape for the show, and great, great, great gift ideas from TCM. And again, thank you, TCM. Thank you, MPRM, for some wonderful... Elvis wine, an official TCM wine, the new TCM mugs, um, Eddie Muller's Noir City, Dark City, Book on Noir, uh, the incredible 20th Century Fox book, Scott Eamon, and of course, West Side Story, which you all want to have going into December with Steven Spielberg's quote-unquote remake of the Immortal West Side Story, which comes out in time for the holidays. Um, so a lot of cool stuff out there. Um, hopefully I'll have more holiday gift ideas for you as the weeks go on. But you can never go wrong. Classic film fans, you can never go wrong with TCM. But let's get to today's show. Today is, we're going back to the 80s today. The whole show is about the film Later Days. It is for many, in many respects, husbands out there, it is a cautionary tale for you. Um, this is a fun story of a woman who, she's a hardworking attorney, wife, mother, 
husband is a stay-at-home husband. He wants to do something for her 40th birthday, only it's not what she wants. He decides to do give her a surprise 80s prom theme birthday party. The exact opposite of what she wanted. Um, it is hilarity. It is just so many parts to just roll your eyes. And today we're going to have... The, our, one of the stars of the film, Ajandra Delfino, will be joining us at the midpoint of the show. But right now, we're going to bring live the the brains behind later days, um, the grown-up 80s guys themselves, Brad Riddell and Sandy Sternshine. Hello, guys. Welcome to Behind the Lens. Hey. Hey, hey Debbie. Thanks hey, for having me. I, I, I am... Brains is... Brains is being pretty generous, but I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I got to tell you guys, I was excited by the premise of this when I first got, got hit up by your wonderful publicist. Um, <laughs> Stacy hit me up, and I'm like, oh, my God, this sounds great. Even though I was, you know, my high school days were in the 70s. Um, I was living in L.A. in the 80s, and a victim a fashion victim of many of the things that we see unfolding in this, in this film. Uh, and I, and it's funny because I know people that would do similar things. And I understand that it was a combination of two antics that each of you pulled that may have been less than successful that you put together, um, to come up with the idea for later days. Is that correct? It, it it is. Uh, thanks for thanks for having us too. Uh, I will say that uh, my wife. Uh, we're, we're we're now closer to fifty than forty. But uh, when my wife was turning forty, and uh, it was about the time of the Writers Guild strike, uh, I was home <laughs> with the boys. And we had two kids under three. My wife was building her legal practice, and I was like, "Wouldn't it be cool to throw my wife an '80s prom for her 40th?" and uh, you know all these hijinks. It wasn't it wasn't nearly as as uh, crazy as the movie, but that that was a part of it. And then Brad uh, as well. You know, he uh, I'll let him speak about his band reunion, but it it, it went equally as uh, cringy, I guess. And that was our inspiration. You know, guys. Yeah, it was just interesting to see, it was just interesting to see um, people that you went to high school with so many years ago, and and what was the same and what. Was different and you know who, who they became and you know I, and it just led us to this idea of, of do we ever change and what happens when you put a bunch of people back at the lunch table in the cafeteria you know what, what happened <laughs> 40 30 years later well and and something else that really stands out in this film is that it's not just what happens when you take them all back in time to a decade as memorable as the 80s um, but it's also the ones that can't let go, that cannot mm -hmm. let go of their quote-unquote glory days. And we really see that play out here with your two, your two leading characters, Pam and Mike, who are incredibly played by real-life husband and wife, Majandra uh, Delfino and David Walton. Um, David plays Mike, and he's a stay-at-home dad. 
Uh, he had his glory days. Everybody thought he would go play Major League Ball. But as happens, you get injured, and then you really don't move on from there. It's right. always the what if. You know, what if I could have been? Um, and we really get to see that. And I love that. And it's not just with the character of Mike, but it's with some of the other characters as well. You see jealousies arise. You see train wrecks happen. And thank God you shot the. Of course, now we know why there was a toilet paper shortage during COVID. Because you guys must have ta- bought every roll of toilet paper in suburban Chicago uh, in 2019 to shoot this film. Um, well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you a toilet paper story real quick. Oh, we must have a toilet paper story. We, so we, you know, we shot at Brad's house in Naperville in Chicago. I'm in L.A., Brad's in Chicago. And um, that night, you know, when you're working on an independent film, you have so many days, right? We had one night to shoot all this outdoor stuff. We had a 19-day shoot, and about half an hour into setting up the toilet paper, it rained. And if (laughs) if you know anything about toilet paper, it's water-soluble. And so, you know, we hadn't even thought about that. And our DP and our production designer, Kamer Asley, you know, they both came to us and they said, hey, listen, you know, this is bad. We don't have enough toilet paper. If it starts really coming down hard, you know, we got to take all these lights down. we got (laughs) to take all the toilet paper. So we kind of unrolled all the toilet paper, put it back, you know, put it put it back on the roll, <laughs> ate lunch, tried, let the let the uh, rain pass, and uh, we got lucky. It didn't rain again, so we we almost didn't get to the whole uh, evening. It would have it almost washed away, literally. Oh my god! Oh, and it was god. up in that tree for months. Uh, it was like Thanksgiving when my parents were coming to visit, and we still had toilet paper up in that tree. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, I mean, I have to, I got I have to give your your DP and your camera operators, your DP Stephanie Dufford and your camera operators, gotta give you credit because you really got some great footage of rolls of toilet paper being hoisted up over the branches and it's floating in the wind, and the whole time all these rolls and then all the packages on the ground. Uh, all I kept thinking is now I know why we had a toilet paper shortage for COVID. <laughs> You guys, and Tim Wynn's Tim Wynn score too, man. What he he did such a nice job with that sequence, and I'm yep. re- I'm really happy with how that came out. And you know, you know, if you're making an independent film, you know, if a if a feature film with a hundred million dollar budget, right, they get to go out there, they get to light the neighborhood, they get four nights, everybody shows up at six. And we were, uh, you know, you you're upsetting the neighbors, right? Brad's neighborhood was great, <laughs> but you really have one chance to do this, and. One light costs you the, the same amount of money that it would to shoot three days, you know, of film. So I'm, I'm grateful to the crew and everybody who, who pulled this off and the neighbors. And, uh, I'm pretty happy about well, it. Well, I, I want to know, you know, you had two big expenses with this film. One was your toilet paper budget and the, <laughs> uh, and the other were your music license fees. I have to tell you guys, the driving force, the underlying current and driving force of later days is your soundtrack, your needle drops. Oh, my God. I was, before we went on the air, I was I was regaling my engineer, Pam, with the list of songs you've got. You've got Wang Chung, Dance Hall Days. You've got Bowie, Modern Love. You've got Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. You've got Depeche Mode, Just Can't Get Enough. It goes on and on. You've got 19 
incredible songs that are seminal songs. And then, of course, you open the whole film with Louis Prima singing Enjoy Yourself, (laughs) which I just loved. Um, How do you even, on an indie film budget, with licensing fees for music, what they are, and the cost of toilet paper, because a four-pack of those very cushy toilet papers that you had are going for about five sixty-nine right now, if not more. Um, oh my God! How do you, you know, put this together? How do you pull off getting all of this incredible music? We, I'll tell you, it's really, it's really one thing, and it, and not every film has it, and that's J.T. Griffith. Our, uh, our music supervisor, who's been a longtime friend of Brad's and been a friend of mine for a few years, he is the head of world music at Nike. Um, he's just the man. I mean, he's literally, he saved this film. He, you know, I remember David uh, Walton when he first got on the phone with us and said, hey, this is a really funny story, but hey, how are you going to pull, you know, how, at this budget point, how are you going to pull off this soundtrack? And I said, well, we got, we got an ace, we got an ace in the hole, and that, and that's J.T. Griffith, and this guy's amazing, and he, you know, uh, he has relationships with some of these labels, and then went to them and said, hey, this is a really special project. It, you can't make a, a 80s prom film without the 80s soundtrack, and I really, Brad and I, you know, really had pulled no strings. It was all JT, man. He's, wow. He's he's an incredible, uh, and, and not just the eight, because you could have, a, there's a million 80s songs, right? Mm-hmm. But the right 80s songs. I mean, he, he nailed in every moment. He's like, you know, we need this. We need two Bowie songs. I'm like, JT, impossible. <laughs> How can you do that? You know, and he's like, trust me, this is perfect. And, and uh, the John Lennon song that we actually had to go right to, we had to go to Yoko to get wow. that song. Uh, he he recorded and then he died very shortly after. And that is a that is a song about him being home with his two boys while you know Yoko was out, and then going to the studio at night. And even referenced like you know this is for all the stay at home dads. It's crazy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. well, how does he even know about that song? He, he's unbelievable. I, I can't say enough about J.T. Griffith. Well, I mean, the soundtrack, and luckily everybody can actually get the soundtrack. Um, you know, it's available. This whole this great compilation, it's on Spotify, and I know if you go to the Later Days website, it's on there. Um, it's just, it's incredible. And as I'm watching the film, it's like all the, these songs kept popping up. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, but then... Adding to that is you, and you mentioned him, you bring in your composer, Tim Wynn, who does the score that ties all of these songs together. And that's never an easy feat when you have this many needle drops in a film. Yeah, we worked a lot with him, um, you know, because that was a. I mean, he, he was great because he knew what we were trying to do with music, uh, with, with, our, with our soundtrack, and, you know, and was completely fine um, supporting the film with, with the music cues that, that we needed. I think there are some moments where, where the score really comes forward, especially in the third act, mm-hmm. um, and, and does a lot for us. And then, like you mentioned, the toilet paper scene. Um, so we tried to highlight some of those key moments with, with score. Um, and he was just great knowing that he didn't need to compete with, with the soundtrack, right? It was, it was sort of, and oftentimes the score is letting us take a break from the soundtrack, yes. you know, to really sort of say, okay, 
you know, that was uh, OMD, right? So, like, let's take a little, let's smooth out some OMD and, and, and bridge the gap to the next song, right? And he did a lot of, there's a, there's a, there's a poison sound-alike, you know, it's kind of an a 80s ballad uh, that, that he actually scored because we needed a beat there and did not have the funds for one more song. <laughs> so, so he created for us sort of this sort of 80s ballad sounding song to bridge about 30 seconds, which we loved. Now, I, you know, <laughs> musically, sonically, from beginning to end, this is it, it's an auditory feast. It really is. Um, but, you know, but then you have to you have to look at while you're listening to this great stuff, then you're watching the comedic antics and some really poignant moments that I think everybody who's in their 40s or 50s or 60s is going to be able to relate to because enough time has passed since their quote-unquote glory days of high school. Um, And you have the most incredible actors, but more than that, incredible characters that you've written. Where did you guys come up with? What did you tap into? To get to write all of these characters. I mean, we've got a French teacher who shows up. We've got the perpetual DJ guy who hasn't grown up. You've got the goth. Got to have the goth. Um, <laughs> you got to have the hunky, you know, okay, 1980s version of the Fonz. Um, you've got the loudmouths. You've got the former druggies. You've got the pranksters. Um, and then you have poor Pam, our birthday girl, who wasn't really a part of any of that. Um, and she's the corporate lawyer who's killing herself, a workaholic. Um, and husband Mike, who is just kind of going along with the flow because he couldn't really be, he couldn't make it in baseball because of an injury. But each one think- of these characters is so distinctive, guys. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying think, that. Uh, I, I, yeah, thanks. I think, I, I think John Hughes, you know, a, a, a inside story here, a Brad teaches at DePaul at John Hughes class. But, we, you know, obviously if, we're, if you're of a certain age, those were the movies that you grew up with as teenagers. Um, we love, you know, Sixteen Candles and, and Breakfast, uh, Breakfast Club, right? All these movies. And, and, and I think we thought, what if – you know, what if Emilio Estevez's character was a stay-at-home dad now, and Anthony <laughs> Michael Hall came home, came, you know, he's made it, and, and he's come back with a chip on his shoulder, and if Molly Ringwald were, you believe that character in Sixteen Candles, right, or either of them grows up, and she's a lawyer now, right? She's a lawyer in Chicago. You would totally believe that, and I think we were tapping into some of those high school archetypes that we watched a lot of movies about and uh you know where are they now where are they in their 40s how you know what what do they look like how have the roles reversed who's who's still got a grudge who's still hanging on to high school you know i think i think that was a big influence on us when she say brett yeah i mean i think you know some of my favorite characters are well fred i I, you know fred uh is the, the pick dog kid who um goes off and becomes a millionaire and uh, comes home to sort of, he wants a prom king recount, right? He wants to like settle some stuff. Like I made it. You guys are the same. I'm different. Like, let's talk about it. Um, and I think that's where we had a lot of fun. And then also Robin Coffin plays uh, Shannon. Clifana, oh my God. Basically 
Susie and the Banshees clone, right? And she she's never given up her crush on Pam and just sort of stalks her all night. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's, it's crushes, grudges, and baggage. That's basically what we wanted everyone to come to the party with and just see how it sorts out. Uh, you totally succeed with that. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned the character of Fred, uh, Cesar Jaime, who plays him. He's just mm-hmm. so suave. He's so slick. And we get into the third act and there's a great a, a great line in there, you know, you know, hey, everybody want to go for a drink? And it's like, I own a bar. It's, it's down the street. I've never been there, but I own it. Um, you know, just funny little one-liners like that pop up throughout the entire film. And you've got very deft comedians who are playing these roles. And they really know how, they, they understand comic timing so well. Robin Coffin steals the show as <laughs> our Susie and the Banshees goth, Shannon. And the way she can just hold a stare and almost like she's not breathing, almost like in a mannequin state. Um, or just, it's just, you cannot look away from her when she is on screen. But it is just so hilarious when you're waiting. It's like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, okay, what's going to happen now? She's inching closer and closer to Pam, and she's sniffing her hair, and it's like, oh, my God. (laughs) And then you've got your bathroom antics happening with the French teacher involved. Um, (laughs) So it's at every level, guys. Was it difficult distilling these characters down to just this gr- main group, because you also have in your background scenes, you've got tables of you know the Adam Ant, uh, you know uh, <laughs> all the other wannabes. I'm glad you saw him. <laughs> you can't miss him. Full regalia. Um, but, you know, you really you relegate a lot of them to the background, um, and you can tell they're still they're back in high school. They were losers then. They're losers now. Um, because well, the great thing was that we, we got to work with Marissa Ross, who's a casting director here in Chicago, but she also works in LA. And our, our plan was to, you know, we wanted to get leads that, that were recognizable that people knew, and we wanted them to have chemistry. And of course, David and Mahandra fall in your lap and you, you, you feel really lucky about that. And they, of course, knocked it out of the park. And, but the ensemble was really important. And I remember them our two leads, David Mahondra, saying, you know, we were a little nervous about getting to Chicago to see what we were going to end up with, with all these other people, right? Um, and now they're, you know, constantly talking about how amazing their experience is working with this cast. And we had people from Second City, main stage players on Second City, Steppenwolf, the Goodwin Theater. It's like every, it's basically a who's who of Chicago acting and comedy. And we just, you know, with Marissa's help, got them to be part of this this crazy adventure and even the background talent, like, you know, over the course of shooting, you know, 12 days in that banquet hall, you start to notice people and you're like, okay, let's bring that person forward. They're funny. And like, <laughs> let's move this person close to the lens and Hey, can we get somebody who looks like Prince in the background? You know, So like, it just became um, a lot of fun to work with all of this talent and everybody had great energy and great ideas. And yeah, I have to give a lot of credit to the cast for making, 
making it better every day. We, we did do a workshop with the script through uh, SAG and IFA mm-hmm. in Chicago, and, and that was great. And we learned a lot, and we ended up eliminating some characters because it was so big. But um, ultimately, that process of the workshop with actors, we actually found Audrey Francis in that workshop, who played Karen. Um, and, you know, so we just, you know, we really tapped into what Chicago is to sort of bring that forward. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Audrey Francis. I was going to bring her up to you because as Karen, loudmouth, brassy Karen, oh, my <laughs> God. Um, but, you know, every, every class had one of them. Every class yep. had, one, had a Karen. Um, even though Karen t- has taken on new meaning in the past couple <laughs> years in in the zeitgeist, but uh, kind of applies to this Karen as well. Um, but it just, it, you know, everyone, was it difficult? How much improv, with talent like this, how much improv did you allow? Because you really have some classic seminal one-liners happening throughout the film. So I'm curious, how did you, you know, how strictly did you stick to the script? How much freedom did you give uh, these actors? Our goal was we, always I mean, to we, get one in the can, go, at least, that we liked on book. And, you know, twist the assistant director's arm. Because <laughs> we were both the producer and the director. So, you know, like, he didn't have anywhere to turn. But uh, twist his arm and sort of say, hey, let's let him run with one and just sort of see what happens. And that, you know, if we can get everybody blocked and rehearsed well, save ourselves some time, um, try to get that that one good take on book and then let them because we had, you know, David Pasquese, you know, he's like the best improviser on the planet. Stephen Colbert said, you know, you don't get any better than David Pasquese when it comes to improvising. And so we want to let him and Jason Boggs have a chance to play. Um, and, you know, so we tried as much as we could to get something we knew we could use and then have time. One or, two, one or two takes to let them just run, run with it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, another... Uh, uh, oh, go ahead, Brad. Go ahead. Uh, oh, no, I was just going to say, I'm a, uh, mine's a duck. I, I, that's, we did not write that line. Uh, <laughs> Jason Boggs, when, when, uh, when David Walton goes off on her boss, and the, right before that, the phone rings. Her boss is calling Pam, and he's got her bags. And uh, I just remember that one. Like, the, the unfortunate part about improv, improvisation is, I remember that brought the house down. I think it killed that take because he said, I'm, mine's a duck, you know, about the cell phone ringing. And those, those kind of moments are, while they're amazing and, and they're better than anything you could have written, they, they often bring the crew down because no one <laughs> expects it coming. <laughs> and, and mine's a duck, the way he deadpanned it was just yeah. perfect. And immediately my mind went to Aflac, which really started, yep. that's what star, it started really to take hold in advertising in the 80s. So it, it was just perfect. <laughs> perfect. But, you know, another big, uh, two other really big parts of this film. Catherine Morant's production design, may, the whole prom idea looks very, you know, Okay, we went to Party City and we got this stuff and we set it up ourselves. And then Sarah Albrecht, your costume designer, um, could that dress on Karen and on Pam, could either of those look any worse? <laughs> um, you know, I don't, even, I don't even know if fabric stores even sell that satin anymore. Uh, but, <laughs> but, oh my God. Um, she made she made three dresses, right? 
Sarah is amazing. Yeah, there were three dresses uh, for with various levels of distress, you know, so that obviously she arrived with the you know with all of the poof on it, and she tears that off, and then you know over the night things happen and the dress falls apart. So we had three or four different versions of the Pam dress. Oh my um, God! And then Audrey's, yeah, I mean we. <laughs> Very unfl- She's such a beautiful woman, and she's so super fit and strong. And we had her. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It, we had I, a lot of fun with it. it. It was like a lavender satin potato sack. Um, <laughs> and I love how the hems were not finished, so you had threads hanging off the hem lines. Um, and of course, I love the deconstruction of Pam's dress when she uses shoulder pads as a pillow. Um, mm. just, you know, just so creative, but so 1980s tacky. I, I Yeah, I, we did want it to feel like they had put this on themselves. I mean, there were conversations early on about production design, you know, where you could have had this at, you know, the Hyatt Regency or, you know, and it was, you know, had like a super expensive party designer come and do it, but that's not very authentic, authentic to the story and it's not very authentic to the experiences that, Sandy and I have had at these kind of parties, right? So it felt, like you said, more DIY. And, like, Karen stayed up all night doing this the day before the party. Um, and that's what we were going for, for sure. Oh, well, you, you definitely, definitely achieved that, I got to tell you. Um, <laughs> especially since it's not even, it's not even you know, a quote-unquote prom. It's a birthday party, um, which just has a prom theme to it. So that adds another whole layer, especially when you've got a running joke about cake through the whole thing, which, (laughs) you know, is true. It's like when I think about the the show, Two and a Half Men, you know, there's there's some party scenes and all you ever hear Jake say is cake. Can we eat the cake? Can I cut the cake? I want the cake. Where's the cake? It's a party. There's supposed to be cake. Where's the cake? And that's exactly what we have here. Um which is really entertaining, very entertaining, um, just on every level. You guys just nailed, you nail the whole era, you nail the experience, but what you also do is you capture the emotion of these characters, particularly the core group of them. And I'm curious how challenging that was for you, especially when you got into the editing stage. That's you, Sandy. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. I lost, I lost you right there. Sorry. Oh, well, I'll pick, oh, she, <clears throat> she, sorry, Debbie. Um, <clears throat> she was asking about the uh, bringing forward character in the editing stage. Sandy managed most of Post from L.A. So we did production in Chicago, and then Sandy handled Post. In LA, so it's probably better for you to uh, to speak to that. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, uh, you were breaking up there a second. Um, I yeah. So much like uh, Mike and Pam in the story, we uh, uh, we shot in Chicago for a couple months, and then I didn't want to get a divorce, so I came home and did the editing, and Brad was <laughs> going back to his semester for teaching. So we we came out to LA with uh, Lawrence Jordan, who did a, a he's he had actually worked with John Hughes as an editor mm-hmm. um, early on in his career. Amazing. Uh, Larry, Larry Jordan, but goes by Lawrence. Um, he was a, he was able to, um, you know, he knew, he, he knew these archetypes, right? It was so, yeah. it was so cool that 
uh, one of the things that he he had uh, done in his career is worked with. Um, oh my God, I'm trying to remember the brothers. He's worked with a lot of improvisation too, and like hours and hours of footage. And he he was so insanely good at finding the the right takes and the right reversals and bringing out all these these amazing uh, performances and. You know, it's hard. As an editor, you weren't on set, and then all of a sudden you're, yeah. you get not only, as Brad was saying, that first line, but then you get three other hot takes, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, for for uh, Larry, who is who I think on one of the movies for the – one of the brothers that he always cuts the movies for, Brad, I apologize. Um, he uh, – he, in one of his movies, he had 700 hours of improvised, it was like 700 hours of improvised fake for these guys, for the Waynes brothers. He had done a film. Oh, so my God. I think in our, in, in our movie, cutting together this large ensemble was, was like, you know, easy peasy for him. But, I, you know, again, we, as, as kind of like middle-aged filmmakers, guys, we, we have all these friends and all these people that we rely on and um, like JT, you know, we, this film doesn't come together without Larry Jordan uh, as the, um, you know, cutting this thing together. So it's, it, he was amazing and was able to really uh, sift through all this extensive footage and bring out the, these amazing characters to life. So the big question for you guys um we have one of your stars on the other line who is going to come what? on. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to stay on the Amazing. line and chat? Of course. Oh, well, Pam. Yeah. Can we bring your, your on-screen counterpart into the call? Yes. Uh, okay. I think she's here. Majandra, are you there? Mahandra. No, but Mahandra, Mahandra is. Oh my Mahandra. god! And and your fearless <laughs> leaders are on the line as well, Brad and Sandy. Yes. Hey, lady. Hey, guys. Oh my god. Are you, are you filming? How's everybody doing? We're good. How are you? We're here. You're you're on set doing some work right now. I'm right now headed to uh, the prop house. To go tag some props. Wow. <laughs> well, I I bet there's not Fun a poof, I bet there's not a poofy satin dress in those props that you're going to be tagging. Oh my gosh! I wish. <laughs> By the way, that dress was very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's one good thing about the ruching in dresses of the '80s. I mean, you were just a mere child in the '80s, Mahandra. Um, I was, I was. However... The 90s wasn't kind to me either, so, you know. But I actually had some satin and velvet dresses. I, I, it, I hate to admit it, but I did. Um, and I was in my 20s. And the ruching does make them kind of comfortable. You got room to move. It's so comfortable. Yeah, it's like you're walking around in a pillow. Yeah, especially when you get these bulky shoulder pads thrown in there and poofy little... Uh-huh. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> it made napping on set very easy. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> napping. Oh, so in between setups, it's, it's what you do, you know. Now, you know, pretend the Brad and Sandy aren't on the line. You know, tell the truth. Why did you make this film? 
Obviously, it wasn't because I mean, of them. There had to be another reason. <laughs> if you've seen it, you'd know why. Oh, I know There's why. No I've... Not to make the film. It was so good. It read so beautifully. And of course, you know, someone with taste like that, you know, they're going to execute it beautifully, too. So it was a no brainer. You know, I'm curious because now Brad and Sandy, you were around in the 80s. Mahandra was just a mere child. Um, you know, how did this, did you do any kind of research, Mahandra, into that whole 80s vibe in order to capture this? Because you really embody well, it perfectly. I didn't. I mean, I, of course, you know, as a kid watched every John Hughes everything, you know. So I like to say, even though I wasn't technically a latchkey kid, I was very much raised by the TV, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that was really the extent of it. But it's just like impossible. It's such good writing. It's going to come out right no matter how you say it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for Brad and Sandy, I'm curious, did you want Mahandra or Dave or her husband David um, individually, or did you want them as a package deal? It was pitched to us by Marissa, our, our so, um, casting uh, director. She said, you know, I've got a crazy uh, idea. What do you think of this? And I'm like, real chemistry you know, let's see it. The, uh, so they sent us, um, I, you know, they sent us stuff. You know, we looked at, Mahandra had done a great, um, a great half hour, Friends with Better Lives. And, you know, we watched a bunch of that. And then um, the the trailer for her proj- current project, B&T, was, was just coming up online. And we watched that. And, just sort of instantly saw that she has this great sense with physical comedy, but she also has a sense of being down to earth and real in a scene. And uh, obviously we had hoped we hadn't spent any time with them, but we had hoped that <laughs> she would have great chemistry with David. And <laughs> turns out she did. And all of those things that we saw on her tape were true. And uh, she just nailed the part. Well, Mahandra, did you have any kind of reluctance or was it excitement to work with David? I, you know, I'm very, I am a fan of my husband, thank goodness, and um, spend a ton of time with him, even pre-pandemic, uh, and uh, I was excited, you know, we really like to rib each other and give each other a hard time, and that's how we get along, so I knew it would be fun, and I knew even if we started to get annoyed with each other, like, that's fun for us, too, you know? Well, that really comes across when we've got a couple of those sequences where it's like, Pamela, Michael, Pam, Mike, and you just yeah. see this, and it is so playful. Um, even in the in the most stressful moment, um, it comes across. It is so playful, and watching the two of you on screen is it's a joy. It is a joy. Oh, that makes me so happy. Oh, good. You know, because I makes me happy to hear. I have watched your work for forever. Um, you know, Roswell, Tony Danza's, Danza's show. I loved you as Tina on Tony Danza's show. Um, oh, my gosh. Thank you. But, and then David. I've interviewed David before um, for a film that he did. But, and I love his work. But it's a, getting to see the two of you together. I mean, Brad and Sandy, you did an amazing job at, cast, at bringing the two of them in together. Because we really believe the entire dynamic. Uh, of what's happening between the two. So and I'm curious, 
Mahandra, for you, would David actually pull a stunt like this on you? I mean, he probably would pull a stunt on me where he gets the completely wrong uh, generation for me. Um, and not give me a 90s party, you know? Like, I'd be like, what? Um, he might even do, like, disco by accident and really just go deep. I don't know, though. He's pretty... Um, he gets very anxious with having to plan and things like that and get people together and all of that. So he, he may be, but just a very small version. <laughs> very, very smaller, smaller version. You know, because this is an indie project, I'm curious, Mahandra, how much rehearsal time did Brad and Sandy give you? Especially in an ensemble. It was a perfect amount. It was a perfect amount. It was conversations. It was also, they gave us a lot of, like, breathing room, which is so key. And I certainly felt when I showed up, and we had to, you know, we went to Chicago and were there for a month, brought our kids, you know, so there's a lot that could have distracted me, but I felt... We both, David and I, felt uh, when we showed up ready and uh, and like we knew our stuff, which I think speaks volumes. <laughs> That's now, not always the case. Well, you know, now now, did you have any kind of practice for toilet paper throwing? Because you've got a good arm on you. I mean, listen, my whole life, you know what I mean? Uh, who doesn't? That That's just it. You really got some height on that roll as you threw it up there. Um, oh. <laughs> what a joy. I mean, it I could wa- do that every day. And then to think that toilet paper became such a scarcity. See? <laughs> see? Whoopsie. Okay, see. Whoopsie. It's the female viewpoint. That's f- I thought the same thing. It so- was actually Brad who brought it up to me. He was like, ooh. <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah, well, we could use those. I think it was uh, in March of 2020, you know, like what, four or five months after we wrapped. Um, everything is shut down the that you couldn't buy toilet paper anywhere so i posted this picture from my front yard on instagram (laughs) (laughs) like anybody need anything come on over um you know it was who knew like we had no idea but it was really funny in the aftermath aftermath yeah yeah i'm curious for all of you how did this dynamic work having co-directors on set did things get divvied up you as an actor Mahandra was there would you go more to Brad or Sandy if you had a question for and for you Brad and Sandy how did you divvy up did somebody work with the actors somebody paid more attention technically I'm always curious how that dynamic plays out when there's more than one cook in the kitchen yeah I mean uh, I guess I'll, in this I'll, case though it's like go, uh, go Mahandra so, no, I was just going to say, you guys kind of, they like, they work so well together. It's like they share a brain. So it's like this ginormous brain, you know? And it's just, it's so, it's a way to work so smart. You've got two people with boots on the ground. It was amazing. We, we, I know that I'm, one of the things that we really thought about was one message, two, two heads, one message, right? So whoever, whoever was going to, uh, bring a note or an idea to the table. We weren't going to both do it at the same time. So we, we often, you know, we, we do think alike. I think Mahandra nailed that. Like we're pretty much on the same page, but we look at each other and go, okay, I'll go say that, or I'll go work with camera. Um, Brad's like, I'm going to go work with performance. And so there was lots to do. And with an ensemble cast, 
to be honest, I couldn't imagine not having two directors because we had so many people in the room and, you know, we had an AD uh, managing 100 extras some days. It was a lot. Yeah. Mohandro, have you ever been on a a production with an ensemble this large? Because there's a lot lot of moving people. I mean, maybe that large, but not that, like, net level of talent. I mean, that was insane. That was insane. Now, does for you as an actor, does does it force you to up your game when you are surrounded and you're working with some of the the comedic talent that you have here? Because this film it's it's about the comedic beats but also finding those emotional notes at the same time. Does that help you elevate your own game? Well, it certainly is scary. <laughs> But then there is sort of a a moment of, like, just having to let it go uh, and not having the pressure of having to be even close to uh, being the funniest one. (laughs) It's so no contest that there's something a little bit freeing about that. I I thought David was trying to be the funniest one, but, you know. (laughs) Uh, How dare he? (laughs) How How do you think he is? How dare he? Hey, he was the one doing toast, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> he kind of had a particular challenge, I think, of, I mean, Mahandra has some some broader beats, right? Working with Robin, Shannon Quisan, and, and the, bat, you know, the, the office scene, you know, mm-hmm. Mahandra has some physical stuff to do. Uh, and, and David was sort of always this straight man surrounded by crazy people <laughs> in every single scene. <laughs> and that's hard. That is actually a lot harder than you would think. Um, giving everybody space, also keeping the story going, keeping his emotional arc alive. I thought that was really challenging too. Um, so he, he had some, he, and then he had, you know, his big screaming match at Richard on the phone, which I think was the highlight of, of his, he, he really loved that moment and he had a good time with it. And of course he shot the whole film pretty much wearing just his underwear and a shirt. <laughs> yeah. Brave. Very brave. Didn't stick any socks down there. Nothing. <laughs> Oh my God! I hope, I, he was actually I hope I'm okay. not speaking he, out of turn, at one point he but, said, uh, "You know, we can go you know, shorter." David guys. Actually, he was the tidy whitey. David like, was, was all like, in on the was, tidy whitey. He was willing and, to go shorter. Pulled it back. Oh my God! Yeah, he was willing to go tighter. Oh my God! <laughs> but I, I just, I love when you know he he flips up the shirt collar. I that was just so effortless. It was so cool. It was so it was so Tom Cruise. So risky business. Um, yes. He really nailed. He really nailed the whole persona. And you really believed that Mike was still back in high school. He had not left. Whereas yeah. poor Pam is just, she's knocking herself out. She's killing herself working 24-7. And I have to say, the funniest scene in the whole film is yours, Mahandra, peeing in the plant in the office. Oh my god! <laughs> um, I've been there, been there before. <laughs> I've been there too. Uh, no, well, on, we no. actually, we actually made a pretty serious edit in that scene. I don't know, Mahandra, do you want to reveal what actually happened? Uh oh! <laughs> I'll leave, I'll leave it to you guys. It really is like such a hot topic. <laughs> All right, boys. Now you got to spill. Now you got to spill. Still, Brad. In the, okay, in the original script, 
and the way we shot it, uh, she's so distracted with work and having to pee and being on this phone call that when she finally she she pees in this uh, coffee cup, uh-huh. and then she that doesn't hold it, and she has to go over to the plant. Well, um, in, in the original, she actually drank the pee from her coffee oh, cup God. when she was on the phone with Mike. <laughs> and, you know, we showed it to people, and they're like, I don't know if we want to meet our, you... our star drinking her own pee on the yeah. third, third, third minute of the movie. So uh, Larry saved us, made a really great cut, nice edit there, and nobody knew the difference. Oh, my God. I was all for the drinking of the pee. <laughs> oh, she was, was so good at drinking her own pee. It was great. It was so funny. Like, it was, it was almost it was, it was painful to lose. Do, do you have a breaking point, Mahandra, where you will draw the line in the sand and say, no, that's too much? Oh, as far as in, being, in acting? Yes. Uh, well, listen, I don't, I don't do my own stunts. You know, so right there, <laughs> we're at a... <laughs> I'm not a real physical. I, I definitely. If someone said you got to like scale this wall. I'd be like, no, me, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. I don't want to do a fight scene, you know. Uh, so this explains why Pam didn't scale the fence. Exactly. Okay. Right. Well. Exactly. Okay. That. That's later days too. That's later days too. <laughs> oh. And it'll just really clearly be a stunt double suddenly. <laughs> Oh, my God. You know, Mahandra, when you first got this script, what is it that jumped out at you about this film and about the character of Pam that made you say, yes, I want to do this? Oh, my gosh. I mean, everything. It was from page one. You go, oh, this is good. And this is only getting better and better and better. It was just such a fun ride. You know what I mean? Where you're like, I want to hang out with these people. I want to hang with Pam and Mike and everybody So it's just a real no-brainer to me. And Pam just felt so fully realized it would be so fun to play her. It was just a real slam dunk, you know? Mm -hmm. And Uh, you know, you know. I love love the arc of Pam. Um, Gentlemen, you did a great job writing that. And Mahandra, you really... I believed her. She is somebody I would want to know. Just so grounded and down-to-earth and hardworking and sensible, but with a little fun streak in her. Um... And I just love that character and the arc that she goes on um, is so beautiful to watch unfold. And, you know, I, I really have to commend all of you on that because it is a strong female character who is not far removed from day to day. Um, Very true. Yeah. And we don't have well, enough characters have, like that. Sandy and I have good role models. Uh, in our lives, our wives are are Pam in many ways. (laughs) You know, I would be remiss not to ask you, Mahandra, about the scenes with you and Robin Coffin as Shannon, because they are just, (laughs) they are hilarious. I was, I was telling Brad and Sandy earlier, it's like, I'm just waiting you know, when Robin's in character and, okay, she's sniff Shannon is sniffing Pam's hair and she'll just stand there immobilized and stare. You know, how did you not burst into laughter with those I scenes? I did. <laughs> A lot. It was very hard to get through, but we did it. Um, and, of course, Robin couldn't be dif- more different in person, so it was just so wild to see her transform and then, oh, and then stand that close to me and breathe into my face. <laughs> 
it was, I mean, oh, it was truly one of the highlights. Oh my. And she would always bring something different to every take and just keep me on my toes. It was fantastic. Well, you know, and you saying that, that begs the question for uh, Brad and Sandy then, uh, working with Larry, with your editor, you know, when you have that many good takes and something different, how difficult is it to distill it down and pick the right one for the cut, the right one for the beat? Well, you, de- you ahead, definitely Katie. have to know what you're you're looking for as far as, like, I, as as Brad said with the, the uh, pee in the, in the mug, right, we realized um, that we were not going to err on the side of broad, right? We wanted it a little more grounded. And so that once once you make that decision, it's a lot easier because you're like, okay, well, this we went over we went over the line here. This is this is uh, the sentiments right here. I think what we really did well, I guess, with Larry especially, is he really found the sweetness. He really there were there were times where uh, you know, and we and we goaded it out of her, but maybe Mahondra was playing angry about the event or David was really upset by things are going and, you know, and, and Larry kept, you know, he was a gentle, <laughs> a gentle, uh, uh, saint, you know, he kept bringing us back to the sweetness. This is sweet. This is, this is, um, this is David and Mahandra at their sweetest. And, and once we found that soul, I think, you know, for, for all our limitations of budget, and days of shooting, I think that really comes across. And I think people walk away, especially in the end, when uh, Mahandra says she sees him. It's like this sweetest moment, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and it's really fulfilling. And, and, and that's the hard – landing the plane, as they say in film, is like the hardest part. And I think the ending is, is so sweet and so funny. And, uh, and I think Larry and all these performances, you know, for him to – help us find those and find the soul of the picture is just, I'm, I'm very glad. I'm very happy with, uh, with the way that we landed the plane. Well, you know, I got a big question for Mahandra because music is such a big part of this film and you are an extremely accomplished singer, dancer, performer. You've had albums. What was your impression of the soundtrack, your needle drops, uh, in this film? Oh my God. I mean, there's 900 needle drops. It's truly the best soundtrack. It's insane to me what these gentlemen pulled off. I think also it's such a testament to the movie. It's not, we had this huge music budget, but obviously people loved what they saw and that just speaks volumes, you know, but Oh my gosh, it's, it's a real mic drop of a soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Yes. And very baller. I personally, I was just hoping because of your your performance background, I kept hoping we'd see you doing a sing along or something. But I love you know, it. that would have been fun. That's for the the second one. That's for the second that's one. For the sequel. That's for the sequel for yeah, a nineties. Yeah, when 90s. they go to Bourbon Country in the sequel, <laughs> we'll stop at a karaoke bar and we'll let Alejandro. Yes, they rip. start a band. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I I admit I honestly kept hoping that we would hear you do like a karaoke or a sing along uh, to some of these songs. But I'll hold out for the second. I'll hold out for the sequel. I'll hold That's out. Right. I'll hold out for it. 
So now everybody gets to see this. This is out digitally on VOD as of this past Friday. You've got now has San Diego Film Fest already happened for you guys? It did. They they wrapped up, and then now the movie is basically on all your major um, VOD platforms plus cable satellite. Uh, there will be a one-week theatrical run in Chicago coming up soon, starting on November 12th. And then uh, there uh, tomorrow, it's actually playing for one day at the Lemley Township in Encino. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we're working on an Orange County screening, uh, hopefully for at least one day, maybe a week, down in Orange County. So there'll be a couple spots around the country you can see in the theaters, but it is out wide now. Uh, iTunes, Amazon, you know, all it's of every, the, uh, yeah, all on all the, the all the, like that. yeah, all the, all the suspects. So I have one last yeah. question for each of you. I've got to ask you a film like this takes us back in time. Um, let's Mahandra experience it for the first time since she was only five, six, seven, and eight when these events really <laughs> happened. Um, so what did each of you learn about yourself in making this project? You know, big ensemble, a lot of music, a period piece. It is a period piece. Um, you know, what did you learn about yourself as an actor, your, yourself as a filmmaker, that you will now take forward into your future projects? Who wants to go first? I mean, I'll just say that what I learned about myself is that uh, it just sort of reiterated the uh, suspicion I had that I would indeed have a fun time working with my husband again. <laughs> that was just reinforced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we could save the marriage there. That was, that was such well, a you know, the marriage was fine. The work marriage. <laughs> no. Unclear. We loved working with you all. It was so it was great to watch you as a as husband and wife and mom and dad too. That was a real you know a real treat because um, we were away from our families, but yours was together and we got to see it and that was really really cool. Um, so thanks for showing us that side of yourselves too. Oh my gosh, of course I had no choice really. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Um, Those kids had to come with me. me. This is this is Brad. Um, so yeah, it was all it, I wrote. So my my whole background in the industry was writing scripts for other people. So I, I did some studio movies and some, you know, indies where, I, you know, I was a writer and I, that was the end of my job. I handed off a script and I showed up and I ate the craft, craft services and I talked too loud and, you know, that was my role. And then moving into this, um, everything was my role, <laughs> you know, so it, it was a learning process about what goes into, I mean, I knew what goes into making a movie, obviously, but, but experiencing it firsthand, making all those decisions, there were high, very high moments, amazingly ecstatic moments, and super, super low moments. You know that that are a little soul crushing at times. And riding that roller coaster and finding out that you have that you can actually do it and you can come through it and and make it. Um, and then knowing that hey, I learned all this stuff, so hopefully I get to do it again and do it better. I think that was uh, the highlight for me. And what about for you, Sandy? Uh, well, working with Brad is always the best thing on earth. Uh, I love Brad. Uh, no, but on top of that, I think, you know, we, there's three things, right? The movie, the movie you write, the movie you shoot and the movie you, uh, you end up with and, um, being patient and being open, you know, uh, breathing through it and being open to the process to allow another story to, to go down 
uh, you know, in the final product. That was um, our willingness and our belief that we were making the best possible project with what we had. And uh, I think, uh, I think that's there. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, that's something that if you're a control freak like myself, you really have to, um, it's, it, it takes some learning to do and allowing that process to unfold. And I think uh, I'm a, I'm a better man and a better partner with Brad uh, for uh, going through that process. So, Mahondra, would you work with these two guys again? Please. <laughs> we say that again. Sorry, it cut out. Oh, oh, would oh wow. You, would you work with these two? She's thinking about it. No, oh, would gosh, you work so with sad. these two? No, I'm literally at a prop house just pacing. <laughs> I would definitely work with these two. In fact, I tried to work with them again, but they were busy. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> yes, big time. Oh. Well, we will make it happen. We're, we're sure. Exactly. Everybody, happen one real quick, another. if I can, Debbie, I'm sorry to hijack your Oh, of course. Go uh, ahead. Mahandra is working hard. Uh, she's doing what we did. She had an idea. She had a dream. She didn't want other people to take control of it. She's making a she's making a project right now that's important to her, and she's starring in it and she's producing it. And uh, we're just really proud of her and the work she's doing. And I'm so I read the script. It's incredible. So I'm so excited to see when B and T comes out in the world. So everybody should hop on social uh, Instagram, follow B B and T, and follow Mahandra, and look out for this thing that's coming down the pike because it's been great. Ooh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, all of you, I can't thank you enough. This has been so much fun. It's a fun film. Everybody will get a kick out of it. They can all get the soundtrack. Get the soundtrack. The soundtrack's great. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I want a sequel that has uh, Mahandra singing. We'll do it. You got got it. it. Thanks, Debbie. Uh, That's what I want. I want a sequel. Thank you so much, all of you. Have a great day. Thanks for having us on. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And as we try and... There we go. We got all the lines disconnected. That was Brad Riddell, Sandy Sternshine, the co-writers and directors of Later Days, and Mahandra Delfino, one of the stars of the film. Everybody can see Later Days now. You want to trip down memory lane. You want to find out about who we were versus who we are now versus who we want to be. It's a great coming-of-middle-age comedy. Uh, And I can't help it. I have to mention the soundtrack again. It's fabulous. So that is all the time we have for Behind the Lens today. Next week, we'll be back, and we're going to look at and talk with the filmmaker of our first Christmas movie of the season. So, until next week, remember, Yellowstone fans, Sunday, November 7th, Yellowstone two-hour season four premiere on Paramount Network. And don't forget, start your holiday gift shopping, check out TCM, and and Dope Sick. I cannot... Cannot talk about Dope Sick enough. Um, Check it out on Hulu. New episode just dropped the other day. Episode 6 drops on November 3rd. So, see it. You will not regret it. Until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 